1: Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Deirdre Breckenridge. She is CEO at Pure Performance Communications. We're going to talk to her about how to communicate effectively, what goes into a communication strategy, how to develop your communication skills. Super important for anyone in services. Uh, I think the one thing we realize in services is that because we don't have widgets, we don't have things we can point to, the things on the shelves that people are buying, we're often selling ideas. We're selling ourselves. We're selling our concepts. We're selling our services. And how to present that well, effectively, confidently is a huge part of that process. And obviously, that is at the core of communications uh, in all stations form. So excited to talk to Deirdre about this and the work that she does, the insight she's had in working with a lot of leaders in these spaces and helping them be more effective and help them grow and scale their business. So with that, Deirdre, welcome to the program.
0: Thank you, Bruce. It's great to be with you.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure having you. So before we dive into what you're doing today and all the communication insights that you've developed over the years, what was the backstory? How did you get into communications? What was the kind of professional journey that you've been on?
0: Well, I would actually have to take you back to high school. (laughs) Uh, That's where it started. I had a guidance counselor who told me I was a very good writer. And as a writer, I had two choices. I could go toward journalism or there was something called public relations. And when I found out that public relations was building relationships with the media and communicating on behalf of organizations, I said, "I'll take it." <laughs> I raised my hand. I got my degree in public relations and then an MBA marketing, and that was the the start. And I I worked for companies for years, but then I became an entrepreneur.
1: Uh-huh. And tell me more about what you know. What led to that decision? What was that transmission like? Give me some insight in terms of that you kind know, of that journey.
0: So as a Working for somebody else's agency was great experience. And what ended up happening for me is that when I was running somebody else's business and working so closely with clients and understood the financials of it, and when my boss who owned the agency would say, I'm going down the shore for Memorial Day and I'll (laughs) see you on Labor Day. That's a Jersey thing. There's there's no doubt about it. (laughs) And that's what he would do. And he'd say, you handle it. If you need me, you know where to find me. And that was a big wake up call to say, if I can do this for somebody else, why wouldn't I just launch my own agency and be Mm -hmm. Mm service-based?
1: And I I always find that those cases, there is a whole bunch of things that you get right, and then there's a whole bunch of things you didn't think of.
0: (laughs) Oh my goodness.
1: What are are some of the things you didn't quite anticipate when you decided to make the jump?
0: Well, I didn't anticipate how much it would take me away from what I really love to do. So here I was, a writer, a storyteller, a communicator, and somebody who wanted to dive in and, and work on strategy with clients. And as an entrepreneur and a business owner, as I built my own agency, and we had our agency for about 14 years, I became the general manager and president over operations. So there was all the project management and over the technology. And yes, of course, over the communications and the marketing, but I was over finance and HR. And that was just something I didn't expect would take so much of my time. And it did working with the lawyers and with Mm -hmm. the insurance people (laughs) and the accountants. Yeah.
1: And how, where did you sort of decide to focus? I find that, you know, most successful kind of, you know, earlier stage, particularly service companies, you know, end up having to make some decisions, right? You can't, you can't do everything for everyone. How did you choose to kind of focus your services, the customers, you know, clients you were going to work with any, any ways in which you've kind of filtered the world of everything down to, you know, where you really wanted to make an impact? Yes.
0: So we didn't want to put all of our eggs in one basket. We had three different units of the company. Uh, The area that I was directly over, I had two other partners. I was over the PR communications realm. Mm -hmm. Uh, One partner was over creative marketing and advertising, and the other partner was over web and multimedia. And we started to carve some niches into healthcare and education and technology, and I think Having the three units when any part, when any area was slow, we could always count on another area to be doing well. And also carving those inroads into specific areas allowed us to grow a reputation, which led to more business. And soon we started, we realized that we were really good with B2B. And yes, we still had some consumer work, but I felt I was more on the B2B side.
1: Yeah. And just so people kind of understand the difference between some of these services, because these, these words kind of get thrown around mm-hmm. a lot, but I find that people don't really know kind of what they mean. You know, we talk about PR, we talk about marketing, we talk about communications. Is there is there an easy way to kind of understand like what these are from a or how they're different from a service point of view or what they're focused on or what they end up doing?
0: So this is interesting because lines are blurring quite a bit because of social media, but public relations was always the bridge between the company and the public and communication that was the credible third party endorsement. It was a way to get other people to speak highly (laughs) about your brand and to build trust and relationships And a good reputation in the market. And you could do this through the work that you did. It could be customer endorsements, but it was through the media. Now, of course, through social media today, media is all different. You have Instagrammers and YouTubers and influencers, bloggers, who can be your credible third-party endorsements, as well as some of the traditional media. Mm -hmm. And it was the work that you did with analysts or financial in the financial realm, financial publications. Marketing was always driving leads and revenue generation and working very closely with sales. And that was, even though advertising is today paired with public relations in university curriculum, marketing was more about the business and driving those leads and sales. And then comms work, you know, you had your corporate communications, which a lot of the time was internal communications, as well as corporate comms could be over your marketing and PR and and external. So different areas and, and facets, and like I said, because of social media, everybody has to be connected today within the organization in order to have overall goals and communication to support your business
1: and for um a service company who you know has some traction you know they're looking to really kind of grow and scale where do you suggest they really kind of focus their efforts or where should they kind of first step in terms of looking at these kind of services?
0: So that's an interesting question because you always, when you're starting out of the gate, you always want to make sure that whatever you're offering in terms of your services, it's top notch. That, that's number one. Before you shine a light on anything that you're doing with public relations and getting other people to talk about you, you want to make sure they're going to be talking favorably about you. Mm-hmm. So I always say, take a good look at what's going on in your world and how your current customers and partners view you and value you. Yeah. Fix whatever is not <laughs> correct, whatever is going wrong, whatever communication is not working, there's a better way. And then you want to use public relations as a way of building those relationships and trust and highlighting all the great services that you have and what people are saying. And then of course, as you build this credibility, you're using marketing and advertising to propel you even further. And there's a lot you can do through social media and the internet today. And I'm going to throw out another buzz term, search engine optimization. (laughs) But all of this has to come together. As long as you know, as a service business, what you're trying to achieve and what are your objectives and how much do you know about your audience and what have you, you know, do you have a solid go-to-market plan? There's a lot that goes on. And you want to make sure that's all set so public relations, of course, and that's PR is a passion of mine, can highlight everything that's great and involve your brand champions and get more people talking.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I, I find it interesting because that is, you know, I always kind of joke on the on the strategy side is we want to scale success, not problems. Right. <laughs> we don't want to triple a business if there's a whole bunch of problems in the business. And so I think the same thing is true with communications, right? We don't we don't want to focus on getting the message out there if the message is not is not a good message, right? We gotta fix the we gotta fix our processes and our relationships, you know, employees, customers, partners, et cetera. You know, make sure that's really going well before we kind of amplify that and and get it out there to the market.
0: Exactly. A lot starts on the inside of the company and i think that whether it's uh, b2b or b2c companies are very quick to say we got to get out there we got to shout about this but if you don't have the framework the uh, workflow system the smooth communication that fine-tuned engine it's not if you're not on the same page internally then certainly it's not going to be as effective with your external communication
1: Yeah, good advice. So let's talk a little bit about the work that you do with leaders themselves. You know, I, I know you do a lot of work with helping them with kind of media training and and presence. And what are some of the things that you've learned around working with leaders inside these companies about how they present themselves, how they show up, how that's going to impact their role as a leader, both internal and external? Give us some insights in, in that world.
0: Well, I think one thing that you said is how they show up. And that is really interesting Because most leaders show up with talking points and presence and a lot of what's going on with the business. And today, showing up is about people and the importance of your assets internally, the the human part of who you are and what you do. And that then translates externally to the public. And that mindset is really important. When I work with CEOs, any C-level executive or senior leaders, the first thing that I do in my sessions is Mm -hmm. set your level to calm. It's so important. I understand that heads are spinning. You're being pulled in so many different directions. But there's a reason why Ray Dalio has been meditating for 40 years, you know, why you have... Other executives like Jack Dorsey or Jeff Weiner. you know, I could go down the line. It's because how you show up and tuning in and being aware is very important for the people around you. Yeah. And not, it's not just about your presence and what you wanna share with, with any of your constituents. It's tuning in and understanding them and connecting on a level to be able to have a better lens around what's going on. So yeah. I work on a lot of calm, and that—that yeah. that is mindfulness, breathing, self-meditation, and recognizing where you are and setting that level.
1: Do you think that's particularly challenging for folks these days? I mean, I, I don't know if this is a trend. You've noticed that this is becoming you know more difficult or there's more kind of environmental factors going on around this. I mean, what, what's your kind of meta analysis on this or or kind of trend analysis on what's been happening, you know, last 10, 15, 20 years in terms of what pressure people are under or how kind of the context of people are trying to operate from a business point of view?
0: I think there's always pressure, but the pressure has been greater of late, no doubt about it. So now we're in the great resignation. (laughs) The big quit is going on and leaders are faced with bringing people back into the office or not. They're having tough conversations around to vaccinate or not to vaccinate and and what Mm -hmm. is required. There's racial injustice. There's lack of gender parity. Name any of these issues. So having these tough conversations along with how am I going to scale my business? We need to grow. We're, we're <clears throat> having challenges even with our supply chain and getting our, you know, what we need to do out there. That's difficult in and of itself. So, yes, to your question, it is more difficult. And I'm finding ways uh, with different professionals and executives to have them do exercises that work with who they are and what they do and maybe even the way their minds and their brains work. So for example, when I work with healthcare professionals, it's easier for them to set their level with a breathing self-hypnosis type Mm -hmm. of exercise. But when I work with software developers and technologists, especially the engineers, they have to be breathing and doing something else, usually drawing. So it's a breathing technique, drawing a box, if you will. And that helps them to focus and breathe and calm down. It's really interesting. But, so yes, the pressure's there for my work, just getting to the calm, is trying to understand how they get to calm. And that becomes individualized and based on who you are and what you do and the way your mind works.
1: We're gonna take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Yeah, it's interesting because I think, I mean, my. Kind of traditional experience with kind of media and, and marketing you know, it's very based on the message right it's bullet mm-hmm. points it's uh you know talking points it's all it's all the things i'm going to say right? and what i am just intrigued by in terms of how you're approaching this is it's much more about what is my internal state that's going to drive how you know the energy i have the energy i use to connect with folks the energy i'm giving off how like how did that how did that come to you like how, what was the kind of the realization around this process where you realized that I mean yes you need to know what you want to say and you need to have your talking points but what's more importantly what's foundational to that is is getting these, this core kind of centered and clear so that you can you can actually make those points.
0: Well, thank you for asking this. The the model that I work under is called Feel, mm-hmm. and it came out of a study of millennials. it's uh, FEEL is an acronym. It okay. stands for face fears, engage with empathy, live with ethics and good judgment, and unleash your love, that's the L and FEEL, or your energy. And it was after my stepdaughter, Noelle, sadly left us. It was tragic. Um, yeah. And I wanted to find a way to understand what millennials were thinking and feeling. And I did a a year study, I talked to more than a hundred, probably about 150 millennials, recorded the data, and the stories and the, the data from the questions that I asked all fell into a bucket, buckets, and that was feel. They wanted the people around them to face fears, be more open and inclusive, and to recognize that that's what they were looking for, to be more empathetic, to be ethical, And to have love and passion just like they did. And I thought to myself, my goodness, it is so, this goes so far beyond millennials. This is all generations. So I created a test, which is online. It's feelfirsttest.com. And I have over 11,000 answers in a database from all generations. So anybody can take, any professional can take the test. I have Gen Z, millennials, Gen X and also uh, boomers. And it's really interesting to see, even by profession, how people feel. And you score yourself. You take a 32-question test, Mm -hmm. and you learn. Like, am I really facing my fears, and being more open, and stepping out of my own box? (laughs) Am am I empathetic? Am I ethical? Am I showing Mm -hmm. my energy? And you look at yourself, And you create a roadmap. The test gives you uh, exercises to up your scores. But ultimately, if you think about it, if you take this into an organization, if you take this to teams, if you take this to leaders, you have to get a handle on your own emotions and feel before you can tap into anybody else. And when I work with professionals, it's yes, of course, you're going to want to be present and aware and have your talking points and... Be ready, but because you can feel, you're going to recognize what's going on with your interviewer. What are they thinking? What is their body language showing you? What are their verbal cues saying? What's going on on social media? Can you recognize the discomfort rather than knee-jerk reaction? Ask a question, try to soften rather than bonk heads with everybody out there. That's feel work. It goes beyond those talking points.
1: Yeah. And do you find, I'm curious, since you have the data around these sort of different generational segments, what any trends, anything that you're noticing or that, that has come out of the data in terms of what typically is happening or what is important for different folks?
0: Yes. So I've analyzed the fear part of the test. I looked at all the answers, pulled all the charts, and saw what was going on between millennials and Gen X. And what I found was interesting, but not not surprising if yeah. you think about it. Here were the millennials that I initially did the one-on-one interviews with. They all wanted feel. But when you asked them, when they took a test about feel, they were not willing when it came to fears, stepping out of their comfort zones, trying new things, whether it was technology or being a part of uh, different opportunities within their companies, they were less likely to do that than Gen X. Gen X was always willing more so than millennials. So one of the things that I noticed was that it takes a certain type of culture within the organization. That if it's a clan culture, that millennials are more likely to step out and to face fears, and they too can be more open, exactly what they're asking for, if it's a culture of mentors, if they are provided with a lot of feedback, and that speaks to the the generation. I think what's going to be interesting as I'm gathering data will be to analyze the next part, which is empathy. I do, if I was gonna make a prediction, Mm -hmm. I would think that millennials would show a lot of empathy, kindness, caring, and understanding. And I think they will absolutely excel in the love and unleash the love part as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, you know, it's been, I think, uh, interesting in in having, you know, worked with lots of different companies over the last, you know, 10, 15 years in various coaching capacities, I guess the shift or the appreciation or the awareness or more openness to more of those, you know, empathetic qualities within mm-hmm. a work environment. Because I think that for a while we were coming out of a phase where, you know, business was business right. and we kind of keep that separate from, you know, any personal feeling, family issues, things like that. And it's definitely shifted. I mean, what, is, uh, is there any kind of rationale or kind of underlying trends that you see from a general cultural point of view that's driving this or is, you know, what's what's the explanation if you have one?
0: So I think it's definitely shifted and it, it is being driven by what you're seeing in the workplace with millennials being a large part of the workplace. They have a different framework about how they want to live, and they're not living to work, they're working to live. So they have certain expectations. And, and look at your law firms, you know this, this notion yeah. of partners, managing partners saying, hey, suck it up, pay your dues as associates, we're going to run you into the ground so you too someday can be a managing partner, that's not working with millennials and will not work with gen z as well because Mm -hmm. they're not interested in that older model so companies have to make shifts now if you think about what happened with the pandemic and having people work from home you're blending your work and your life Mm -hmm. so when you show up to those zoom meetings you really can't turn off the fact that you're in your home and at one you know, at certain times, your children were there yep. with the, the, the online schooling. So I think a lot of companies realize the, how human they had to be. And when they showed up for their meetings, they adjusted so that you start meetings with, how are you doing? Let's take a pulse. What's going on in your world? It's so much more human than just jumping into the business of the day. So you see that shift. And I think that's important because it's harder to turn it on and off.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. And in terms of if I'm a leader, someone listening to this, a leader of a company and services, what are some of the things I can do? I mean, you have the assessment online that will give you some more awareness. What are some of the things that I can do to start to, assess myself, figure out where am I strong? Where am I? I have some blind spots. Like what's the process look like for, you know, developing yourself in terms of your communication capabilities and and strategies?
0: So they definitely can take the test online. And it's also a simple set your level. Ask yourself when it comes to, are you calm? If you're sitting in a meeting and you find yourself sitting, whether you are in person or you're on Zoom, and you find yourself getting really annoyed at a colleague (laughs) or somebody who's speaking, chances are you are not calm. (laughs) If you have this repeat constantly and you want to kick your garbage can, and please don't kick the cat or the dog, or you feel like your steam is blowing out of your ears, you're not Mm -hmm. calm know that if someone is trying to give you feedback and it's a it's a good-hearted colleague who's, who is critiquing, and that's mm-hmm. a gift, and you're taking it as aggressive criticism, you are not calm. Yeah. <laughs> and if also you find yourself regretting a lot of your decisions or questioning yourself, chances are you're not calm. So you can ask those four questions, and you can also start by talking to people, start seeing how people are around you and increasing your listening skills. That's also really important. If you, you know, you do a self-assessment, but in order to really tune in, are you actively listening? And are you able to not share so quickly? We're given two eyes, two ears, and one (laughs) mouth for a reason. Take notes, ask questions, and have that body language that says, yes, I'm actually tuning in and listening. These are all ways that are just going to be better at the core of your communication. If you listen, you can solve problems. You'll solve any problem if you're a good active listener. And that helps any <laughs> service-based yeah. business.
1: Yeah. And what are some ways? I mean, I, th- I think that listening side, it's, it's so... I guess obvious at some level <laughs> yes. but it's it's so difficult at another. What are some of the things that people can do to really make sure that they're in a a, a pure open listening state or what what can mm-hmm. they what are things they can are cues that they may get that they're not necessarily in a, a pure open listening state?
0: So pure open listening state means you really have to have your smartphone face down notifications off if you can take off that smartwatch, because I know it bings nope. and pings, and that's a distraction. You can't have um, several devices. So so here's a story, just to give an example. Yeah. My husband and Please. I have adjacent offices, and you know he works at EY, and here I am, a, an entrepreneur, and you know what I do. Mm-hmm. I'll walk into his office, and he has three screens at any one time. And I'll start, I'll say, can I talk to you for a second? And he'll say, sure, go ahead. And he'll still have his screens going and he'll be typing and looking at a screen. (laughs) You can't do that. (laughs) That clearly is not listening. The more you can turn off the devices around you, the better off. And, And people will appreciate the fact that you're listening. There's also, when it comes to tougher discussions and listening, There's a way to have a conversation and to show you're listening and to have care and respect. And I call this, it's an acronym called NOVEL where you also have to, it's the no no judgment hat so you don't Mm -hmm. shut down the conversation. It's to observe very closely how that person is feeling and behaving as they communicate to you. It's validating what they're saying. You don't have to agree but yeah. just showing and repeating back some of their words so they know you're listening and you've heard them it's then being able to effectively communicate with some more questions to prompt them onward so as not to you know go to your different corners after you butt heads and to finally listen some more so that the conversation keeps going these are all ways that help you to listen and to connect and to really feel <laughs> as a part of my model.
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's a good one because I think, you know, I get a lot of leaders that, yeah they'll be on their phone or they'll be at the, looking at a screen or something. And they argue, no, no, I can, I hear everything. Like, I'm, I'm getting everything you're saying. And the thing I find about that is, well, even if you are, the problem is the person doesn't feel that, doesn't, yes. doesn't. The, you know, that you you are not communicating, listening the right. person, which is really what you want to do, right? Like you need to convince them that you're actually hearing what's going on. So technically, if you're he- hearing everything, but they don't sense that, then it's not effective.
0: That is absolutely correct. Yeah. I'm glad you said that.
1: Yeah, I think it happens with a lot of, you know, busy executives. I get it, right? They they want to multitask. They want to keep things going. They want to split their time, but um, certainly not good communication. It certainly doesn't lead to great relationships, which is, which is no. gonna be key.
0: And and it, it shuts down the other person's energy. Yeah. So somebody comes into a conversation excited to tell you about whatever is going on with the business or some kind of growth. And if you're not tuned into them, that will lower their energy. When you're excited about something, it's usually somewhere from a seven to a 10 that you want to communicate. And it comes through your, your voice, your, your tone, your pitch, your body language. Yeah. And if somebody is not tuning into to that, that can level them down to a five or a six. And if they keep trying, it's going to get them to a really low level. And they'll say, why do I even bother? Mm-hmm. Why, did, why did I bother bringing this information? Why do I bother doing what I do? It yeah. does have an effect.
1: Well, and taking the risk, I think that's the, I think everyone needs to appreciate that it's, it's risky sometimes to put ideas out there, put your opinions. And and if you don't feel safe or you don't feel like it's worth it, like it's going to have the return, then I'm not going to do it again. Right. Right. And you only get a couple of chances with employees before they, they decide that, okay, this is, this is the situation. This is the behavior I'm going to get. So I'm going to use this other strategy.
0: Exactly.
1: No. Deirdre, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the work that you do, what's the best way to get that information?
0: Well, they can go to deirdrebreckenridge.com, which is my website. They can also email me, uh, deirdre at pureperformancecom with two M's.com. And please, I'm, if you're out on Twitter, I'm at dbreckenridge. People ask me questions all the time. And I'm also on LinkedIn a lot. I'm a LinkedIn learning instructor. I have courses on go-to marketing, media training, different PR and marketing courses, so connect with me on LinkedIn as well.
1: That's great. I'll make sure all the links and the handles and everything are on the show notes here so people can get that information. Deidre, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Bruce. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time.
0: You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter.